Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate you letting us be part of your day. We're going to talk with Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. It is a... Uh, outlook for the beef industry, the priorities that were set during their big convention last week, and uh, we'll get an update on some of those key issues. We'll talk markets today and take a closer look at uh, what China is doing as far as their purchases. We'll talk with Arlen Suderman with StoneX, and we're going to check in on another big farm show, Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota. Our own Jessica Benson there, and we'll get an update report from that show coming up on today's program. But let's start it off with a look at the news from our nation's capital, Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for joining us. We know there's a lot going on in in the news, uh, but as far as ag news is concerned, is it kind of quiet there during this August recess? Yes, I'd say it's definitely quiet. I don't really have any big news for you. Uh, The biggest news, I would say, is on the food side with the Biden administration announcing the reevaluation of the thrifty food plan that determines the benefit levels for uh, or the content of the uh, SNAP program, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program that used to be known as uh, food stamps. Um, The administration has decided that uh, beneficiaries should have a higher level of benefits so that they can afford to buy more fruits and vegetables and dairy products. Uh, And they apparently have the authority uh, to do that from the 2018 Farm Bill. So that was announced on Monday. But in terms of actual agriculture news, I can't say there's much this time. Anything going on behind the scenes, any staff work that you know of on the the infrastructure bill? Uh, Well... There are two things that, that are going on. First of all, you know, it's completed in the Senate. Um, and now the question is when it will come up in the House. The uh, House leadership has said they will only take it up in conjunction with a budget reconciliation bill, which is going to provide this what they call human infrastructure programs. Uh, now, the House is coming back next Monday to vote on the budget resolution that was that was uh, passed by the House. This is what the one that would provide the $3.5 trillion in additional spending. Um, uh, there are some moderates who are claiming they don't want to vote for the budget resolution or the, or the reconciliation bill until the House takes up the infrastructure bill. Uh, and at the same time, of course, the progressives in the House are saying they won't vote for it until uh, the two are together. So we have this, uh, uh, you know, this issue, uh, and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, needs all the votes she can get uh, for this uh, budget uh, uh, bill on Monday, this resolution. Um, And uh, I guess I'd bet that she would get them one way or another because she's been so skilled at this for so many years. But that's kind of where we stand on, on infrastructure. Okay. Uh, the Biden administration asked OPEC to pump more oil. Evidently, OPEC said no, they, they weren't going to dramatically increase. Uh, so where does that leave us? Well, that leaves us probably with relatively high 
uh, high gas prices for the uh, for the time being. Uh, we are, of course, in the summer driving season with people going on vacation. Uh, I would say the question will be, what will the demand be after Labor Day? Uh, will it will it go down because people aren't vacationing, or will it go up because more people are going to the office? And there, of course, we get to the question of COVID uh, and the uh, uh, you know what COVID will mean for office reopenings or not reopening. I uh, uh, I realize that this is somewhat uh, a remote issue for a lot of agriculture because farmers have to work. Uh, I was at one conference at which uh, a man said, uh, we talk so much about the offices, but 80% of the people who work for me don't have the luxury of working from home. So I think we're kind of uh, there in a combination of, of gas prices and COVID. Meanwhile, the biofuels industry going back to court to try to get uh, uh, a new ruling on the E15 summer sales, looking ahead to next summer. Yes, uh, they are going. They are going back to court. They're asking for a reevaluation of the of the ruling. Uh, you know, I do think ethanol is in a difficult position here. Uh, we, you know, we don't have volumetric requirements. We have this debate within the. Uh, uh, the Biden administration, with the with the refiners, of course, saying you know keep it down, and the ethanol industry saying keep it up. Uh, it's just a kind of long term painful battle for ethanol. Jerry, is there much talk at all in Washington about what seems obvious to a lot of people around in other parts of the country that after years of working to reduce our dependence on foreign oil, and biofuels helped us do that. Then all of a sudden now we ask OPEC to give us more oil, to sell us more oil. Doesn't that that seem just kind of counter to what we've been striving for for years and years? Uh, Well, yes, of course, we are, you know, we still do import oil. Uh, So I would say that 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 is contradictory. Uh, but I don't hear much discussion about it uh, in Washington. But we're kind of in a, you know, we're in a lull here. The 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 uh, departure from Afghanistan is the is the top of the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, practically all the uh, opinion space in the newspapers is devoted to to discussing that. Uh, and I just, you know, I just think it's a very hard thing to uh, to get people's attention to. Uh, we're uh, uh, it's it, it's it's just not the issue of the moment. Which kind of brings me back to either infrastructure or anything else. We know what happens when a big issue hits like this Afghan issue is right now. It just dominates uh, the agenda and consumes everything as far as attention in Washington and Congress. Could that happen uh, with infrastructure moving forward, uh, that if this cont- you know this issue is going to be around for a while, does that kind of take the uh, momentum away from something like an infrastructure bill? I think the, the I think the momentum for the infrastructure bill is very strong, and Chuck Schumer, the the Senate Majority Leader, has said that he wants to take up the budget reconciliation bill on September fifteenth which is only two days after the Senate comes back from its long August Labor Day recess. Um, So we'll have to see at that time, but 
I think the momentum is pretty strong. And as far as the uh, Afghanistan issue is concerned, all the Congress can do is, uh, is hold hearings. Uh, they're not in charge of the Defense Department or the State Department. Um, so I, you know, I can't really see that, that it can uh, dominate the agenda in the fall. Just the conversational yeah. agenda, not the legislative yeah. Congre- agenda. They do hold a lot of hearings, that's for sure. All right, Jerry, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Up next, Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, joins us. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Mike Steenhook, Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition, before we get into what's in there for infrastructure, it's kind of set up to get the $1.2 trillion for roads and ports and waterways, bridges and broadband. To get that, they're going to have to pass another $3.5 trillion. As much as I understand the need for the physical infrastructure, if you add all that other on there, it seems like a pretty high price to pay. The worry with the economy is that we're actually going to be overheating rather than underheating. And a legitimate question to ask is, is this the time to keep adding trillions of dollars of spending on onto Americans? What normal people would do is they would say, great, we've got an area of consensus and agreement. Let's pass it. But no, what Washington, D.C. does is they say, we've got an area of consensus. Let's attach some controversial things onto it and make the passage of the consensus issue contingent upon the passage of a controversial portfolio. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. 
U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, last week was the big cattle industry convention in Nashville. Here to kind of review that with us is Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, thank you for joining us. One of the big headlines coming out of the meeting, oh, I guess the big one was that you were actually in person uh, for a meeting. That that was big news. But another big one was that uh, your goal of uh, climate-neutral beef production by 2040. Tell us about that demonstrating climate neutrality in the U.S. cattle production system by 2040. That's a really important goal, and it's an important timeline because, you know, we've talked about quite a bit on your program and and elsewhere throughout the industry over the last couple of years. We know that we're awfully darn close to to being at climate neutral right now. We have the lowest uh, emissions footprint for cattle production anywhere in the world by, by quite a bit. And we're making progress every year towards reducing that. So our focus is really on making sure that the really good story of what our producers are already doing is told and is quantified. And we start to really talk about how we can demonstrate within the next uh, decade and a half or so uh, how we get to uh, demonstrable climate neutrality so that we can really drive that point home that we are not an impact in the climate conversation. We're an, an important benefit uh, for for battling climate change. Okay, so this focuses around methane, and obviously you're not going to eliminate methane. How do you how do you better manage it? Well, I think part of the part of that that it comes back again to continuing to quantify it properly. GWP star, uh, the more the more updated measurement metric for uh, for ascertaining how long methane stays in the atmosphere is is starting to be more. Uh, widely accepted, even the IPCC report that came out here in the last week or so, which is uh, obviously not very complimentary of of agriculture or cattle industry production generally does go on to talk about the fact that GWP star is a more useful metric and one that we need to start using, Um, quantifying that and really getting a handle on not just the volume of methane, but the fact that what we're emitting does not stay in the atmosphere as long, does not have as long an impact, I think is an important part of that that top-line goal for our uh, sustainability metrics, which is demonstrating that climate neutrality. We're going to have to really get into the numbers here. We know that the story is there, uh, but whether it's how much carbon we can really sequester in the soil, how we can improve soil conditions to continue to, to grow that well of opportunity, um, how we can manage those methane streams, how we can make sure we're quantifying just what that impact really is, rather than taking, you know, uh, the UN's word for it or or the New York Times or whoever else is, you know, taking a two by four to the side of our industry this week. Um, really demonstrating that with hard numbers and metrics, working with our partners throughout the industry and the research community and elsewhere to make sure that we're getting full credit for what we're doing and looking at every opportunity to continue to move the needle. Technology will play a part, right? Whether it's feed additives, uh, genetics, whatever it may be, that'll help in this as well, right? Well, it it has to. And, you know, that's something that's always fascinating, especially in some of the trade conversations where you have, you know, systems like in the EU uh, or even the UK to a lesser extent, um, slightly lesser, where they, they really focus on sort of demonizing technology 
Uh, the technologies that we use in the U.S. production system are the reason we have the highest quality beef in the world with the lowest environmental footprint. That's not an accident. Um, we've, we've really optimized that system. We use the, the, the best available technology, and we have an ideal climate suited to producing what we produce. Um, but all of those things work in tandem. So you bet. We're going to have to really make sure that we're uh, leaning on and continuing to develop those key technologies throughout the supply chain uh, to make sure that we maximize that benefit and minimize the impact. Talking with Ethan Lane with NCBA, what other priorities were set at your meeting last week, Ethan? Well, you know, the big the big discussion, obviously, throughout the week was taxes. I mean, everybody's watching Capitol Hill right now or watching this infrastructure package and the, the you know, the budget reconciliation battle shaping up around it. And, and the concern in the cattle industry is how are you going to pay for it? And, and how do we make sure that they don't write those checks on the back of producers who have already had a tough enough time over the past couple of years. Um, so that was a, a probably the most heavily attended tax and credit policy committee meeting I've ever seen at NCBA, yes. which is good news. There's more voices in that conversation talking about how we make sure we position ourselves uh, to, to get through that, that fight up on Capitol Hill, how we make sure we continue to advocate for the need to preserve stepped-up basis, uh, to preserve those higher estate tax exemption levels, and important deductions like Section 179 expensing and Section 199A small business deductions, along with tools like 1031 exchanges and other like-kind exchanges. You just can't take those tools away um, and, and remain economically sustainable. You know, I mean, that's part of the sustainability conversation as well, right, is we need to make sure we're, we're, we're sustainable environmentally and economically. And with as many generational transfers as we're going to see, Mike, in the next 15 years or so, we have to make sure we keep these tools in place to keep these operations viable. Ethan, let me ask you, speaking on behalf of NCBA, when you're when you're looking at how this is kind of going down, it you know it looks like politically to get the the little over a trillion dollar infrastructure, hard infrastructure package done, you may have to have the three and a half trillion or more uh, of the so-called human infrastructure. Is agriculture willing to uh, go with that, and especially depending on how the pay fors are, are with that? Are you willing to do that to get the infrastructure? I don't think that we're there yet. I, honestly, I'm fascinated as a political junkie. I'm somebody who gets to do this professionally, um, which maybe causes me to question my sanity on occasion. But you know, watching this debate play out right now, um, the, the choice that Nancy Pelosi has in front of her is a fascinating one. She very clearly is hearing from moderates in her, in her own party that this is not a place they want to go, that they want, to, they want an up or down vote on a clean infrastructure package and they want to be able to go back and tell their constituents that they did that work um she has laughed that off she's been borderline insulting about it uh publicly she's called them amateur hour in talking about their opposition and you know the the, the thing we keep seeing kind of emerge here is this idea on the progressive side of the democratic party that this is kind of a kamikaze mission they know they're going to lose the house they know this is a dangerous path to go down it's not going to be popular with the majority of voters, but yet they feel like this window of opportunity is closing. So we're, we're going to see what happens Monday and Tuesday when they vote on the rule uh, in the House for this package. Nancy Pelosi has put together a rule that is all-encompassing. It's not even just the infrastructure package and the budget reconciliation. It's the, the sweeping voting rights bill, too. So it is, it is the full package. Um, there's a debate, I think, right now amongst those moderates in the Democratic Party about whether to let the debate begin, so allow the rules to proceed, and then vote down individual pieces as needed, or take their stand right now on the rule itself. So we're going to watch these politics play out 
over the next couple of weeks on the Democratic side of the aisle to just see what their appetite really is uh, to get sideways with voters. Um, and we're going to continue yeah. to advocate from the cattle industry perspective about what we need and what we think is helpful and, and maybe more importantly, what we think would be disastrous for rural communities. Yeah, we'll know more next week, as you said. Uh, finally, what was the mood of, of, uh, of those in attendance last week at the cattle convention? With all this going on, what would you say it, was the mood? It was really positive, Mike. It was great. I was really pleased after, you know, I mean, let's be honest, a couple years of really with good reason, doom and gloom in our industry, right? I mean, it's been horrible economic conditions, and wave after wave of adversity. And I'm not saying we aren't still dealing with those challenges, but, you know, markets are moving in a better direction. The cattle facts update was as upbeat as it has been in quite some time. Producers, I think, were happy to be out and talking to each other and catching up with old friends. Policy committees were productive and, and amiable. Um, it, was a, it was a good meeting. It was a really positive, upbeat meeting, and I think there was a lot of uh, uh, good feelings coming out of it. Well, you mentioned markets. What was the consensus of the group on what direction to go with the uh, cattle markets? So I think that the Cattle Marketing Committee uh, had, a, had a real deep dive into the numbers. Let's, you know, it was, took some time to take a look at, at where we've come using this voluntary framework. And what was obvious is there has been a substantial increase in, in cash negotiated trade uh, throughout the five area. And that was demonstrable on the charts and graphs that were reviewed uh, during the meeting. And, and, you know, we've been kind of down in the weeds on week by week past sale, but looking at it as a whole and zooming out, boy, it's, it's hard to argue with the idea that that, that elevated line is, is above anything we've seen in, the, in, in recent history. Uh, that, was, that was positive. That was viewed positively by, by the group. I think what we've also seen and what the, the committee found is that the, the framework that we're working under is pretty narrow in scope. It's focused strictly on elevating negotiated cash trade levels, right? And it leaves a lot of other business on the table. Uh, talking about some of the transparency issues that, that have been so so dominant in the conversation in the last few months, uh, creation of a cattle contract library, you know, working on LMR reauthorization, working on some of these new reports coming out of USDA, looking at PNS oversight. Um, so what we came away with was some new policy, uh, creating uh, additional opportunity for us to start working on some of those other components of leverage. And we're really looking forward to digging into some of those along with price discovery. All right, Ethan, thanks for the, uh, the overview of your big meeting last week. Good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. You too, Mike. Talk soon. Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Up next, we talk markets with Arlen Suderman with StoneX. Stay with us. This is AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I'm Naheem Hines, professional football player for the Indianapolis Colts. Becoming a running back was no easy task for me, but it's nothing compared to what my amazing mom faces every day. My mom was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when I was 14 years old, yet she's always there for me, every step of the way, despite our own battles. And the Muscular Dystrophy Association is there for my mom. At their 150 care centers across the U.S., MDA is the leading organization in research and care for kids and adults with muscular dystrophy, ALS, and related neuromuscular diseases. Their research is helping find cures and save lives. Watching my mom go through her daily struggles and the care she receives from MDA has made me determined to help find a cure for neuromuscular disease. 
That is why I support MDA, and that's why I'm so grateful to others who do too. Join me and learn more at helpmda.org today. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. The USDA has announced soybean export sales to China or unknown destinations for nine straight days. Chinese Customs reported July corn imports at 2.86 million metric tons, up more than 200% year over year with a cumulative January through July imports of 18.16 million metric tons, up almost 300% year over year. July wheat imports of 880,000 tons were down 5% year over year with seven-month imports at 6.25 million metric tons, up almost 50% from January through July of 2020. On the Board of Trade this morning, September corn trading three quarters of a cent higher at 5.59, the December contract up a fraction at 5.63 and three quarters. For soybeans, the September contract down four and three quarters at 13.64 and a fraction, the November contract down four and a half cent at 13.57. For wheat, Chicago wheat September up a nickel at 7.39 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat September up seven at 723 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat September up a nickel at 926. The December contract up five and three quarters at 913 and a fraction. The cattle on feed report will be out on Friday this week and may push back some cash trade. Tuesday box beef prices jumped with choice cuts up $8.26 and select cuts up $3.22. There were reports of some cattle traded in Nebraska yesterday $2 to $3 higher, but it was not a solid representation of the overall market. For live cattle on the Board of Trade, the October contract $0.60 cents higher at $128.72. The December contract up $0.40 cents at $134.22. In feeder cattle, the September contract contract $1.45 higher at $162.35. October up $0.85 cents at $165.12. In lean hogs, the October contract up $77 at $88.67. The December contract up $57 at $81.65. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rall. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, Maintained your health? 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always good to talk it over with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. Arlen, thanks for joining us. Um, we always, of course, pay a lot of attention to what China is doing or not doing when it comes to their purchases. So they've been making more. Uh, what are your thoughts on where they're at and what do you see ahead? 
Yeah, it's one of the things that's really supporting the market right now. I say that as soybeans are in the red for most contracts. But that is a more of a technical correction after failing to break out of the top of the summer's triangle uh, on an attempt yesterday. Uh, we're still within that range, providing support. The breaks are getting bought. Over the last two weeks, we've seen an announcement every single day of a flash sale to either China or unknown destinations, which is believed to be China. Um, so that two-week period is about uh, 2 million metric tons. That will cover a little over one week's worth of demand at the current pace, although we've seen crush fall to uh, really around uh, below 1.7 million metric tons in recent weeks. So it gives you a little bit of perspective. There will be still getting some soybeans that are arriving that have departed from Brazil now that will be arriving there in early October. Um, so it won't, they won't be totally dependent upon the United States for their supplies in October. They have enough for September, so we're talking October and beyond delivery right now. And we'd anticipate that they'll still be needing somewhere in the in the seven and a half to eight million metric ton range. So we believe that they still need to make some more purchases for October and then November delivery. Uh, and if we'd see uh, freight rates drop, which we don't see anytime soon, but if we'd see them drop, we think there'd be large purchases. But right now, they're pretty much going hand to mouth what they need on a weekly basis um, to be delivered, uh, waiting for those freight rates to drop. Before we uh, start the acre speculation for this country, let's look uh, to South America. Kind of expected with higher prices that they're going to increase acres. How much do you think they would increase them? I uh, wouldn't be surprised at all based on the feedback we're hearing if we would see upwards of 5 to 6% increase in soybean and corn acres for this next year. Um, obviously, that means breaking out some more brush land. They've got plenty of that to break out if they want to. That isn't the most productive in the first year or two, uh, but it does increase the area. Um, there is some concern about La Nina coming back again. Um, but every La Nina is different, so there's no panic in Brazil right now about it from when we talked to them this week. Um, but it is something they're watching. That does tend to leave Argentina dry and southern Brazil dry. They'll be able to start planting soybeans here within a couple of weeks in the southern part of the country. As you go north into Mato Grosso, they can't start planting really until September 15th by, by law there in Brazil. Um, so right now they're not getting any rain in most of those areas, just some in southern Brazil. It's the dry season. The expectation is a rain start in the last half of September. And if that happens, that's when we'll get that anticipated expansion of area. Talking with Arlen Sitterman with Stone X. All right, so we've had our August crop report. We've got people out walking fields now. Uh, are the markets going to be reacting to these reports uh, very much, you think? Well, as I told someone yesterday, I think it will be market moving if over the next couple of days we find out that Iowa is a total disaster or a bin buster, and that will determine direction. I don't expect either one. I think it will be somewhere in between. So I think it's going to leave these uh, markets range-bound. 
although we're getting tighter and tighter in that corkscrew formation for both corn and soybeans, um, bound for a decision at some point here over the next couple of weeks in which direction we're going. Um, but at this point, I don't see anything that changes the tone. Uh, Ohio and Indiana having good crops, perhaps record crops, is not a surprise that was anticipated. South Dakota having a disappointing yield is not a surprise. They only went through the far southeastern corner of South Dakota. And they're basically going to miss the driest areas of the Midwest because they stick for consistency purposes with, with the same routes they've taken every year. But on Friday, ProFarmer will try to incorporate what they know about those driest areas into their final production estimate. Um, but Nebraska was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, you look at Nebraska's crop ratings, they're below average, um, but yet they came out, the tour came out with an above average yield. Some of that may be sampling irrigated versus non-irrigated fields. About 58% of Nebraska is irrigated. Um, but something we'll be looking for in our survey again on September 1st. Um, but uh, overall, I think Nebraska has really been the only surprise. But Iowa is still the pivotal state that's really going to swing things on where this year's yield comes out. And the tour will spend a lot of time in Iowa over the next couple of days. Arlen, I was talking about this yesterday as far as marketing uh, uh, questions farmers might have or strategies. They think back to last harvest when, yeah, we had the prices going up and a lot of farmers sold, and then the prices kept going up, and a lot of them wish they hadn't sold so soon. Might that influence their marketing decisions this harvest season, and we'd see more go into storage? Yeah, the best marketers have a short memory. And uh, I liken it to uh, a quarterback in the line and his offensive line. If you get a lineman who misses a block, who flattens his quarterback, if he worries about that, the next play gets up. Quarterback's going to get flattened again. He's got to forget about that play and focus on the next one. And unfortunately, the farmers tend to market trying to undo the mistake they made the past year, and each year is different. So we need to look at the bottom line, have our price objectives, have a written marketing plan with some flexibility in it, but writing it down and having a discipline to stick with it and not looking back is kind of the key to contentment, trying to focus on always trying to preserve and build on the farm's equity that you've built. So what do you think we'll see with prices when the combines are rolling this fall? It really comes down to whether the national average yield, I think, is below 174 bushels per acre or above it. If it's above it, uh, particularly if it's notably above it in the upper 170s to low 180s, as some private estimates uh, currently have it, uh, then I think the highs are probably behind us, and we're going to see basis weakness in, in many areas of the Midwest west as well as board weakness. If it's below 174, then the market has more uh, rationing to do. And then we'll be monitoring demand going forward, um, particularly what demand we pick up because of Brazil's short crop, um, what happens with the size of Ukraine's crop, uh, how many million metric tons does China actually import in the year ahead. They've really slowed the shipments they're taking now uh, after this year's poor wheat harvest. They're feeding a lot of wheat. I anticipate it will pick up again later in the year, but it comes down to size, size of supply versus demand. And if the crop's not smaller than 174 bushels per acre uh, and acreage doesn't change much, then in that case, the market's already done its rationing job. If it's below that, then it has more rationing to do and higher prices to go. 
Well, let's talk acres here in this country for next year. We, this was a conversation we had a year ago. Uh, but with higher prices uh, kind of across the board, you've got a lot of commodities now vying for those acres. It's going to make it pretty interesting next year, isn't it? Oh, it is. If you look at the price of wheat, it's trying to buy more winter wheat acres, particularly in the in the plains, hard red winter wheat belt. If you look at cotton, it's trying to buy more acres for next year. And, of course, that's one of the first crops to claim acres uh, as we start the new growing season. Grain sorghum looks to be trying to get acres in the plains, uh, fighting with wheat. And then whatever acres those two crops take, that takes acres away from soybeans and corn. And corn and soybean prices certainly look uh, good as well. So it will be a battle going forward, particularly because we anticipate that corn and soybean supplies and wheat among the exportable countries uh, supplies are going to remain snug over the coming year, vulnerable to any unanticipated problems that might come along during the year. So all these crops are going to be vying for acres. Uh, that doesn't mean that prices stay at these levels, but they probably will stay at some elevated level relative to what we've seen over the last five to ten years. Historically, Arlen, how often has this happened where you have prices so strong really across the board for all these commodities rather than, you know, some up, some down, kind of helping make those decisions? Makes it tougher this way. Well, I've been in this business uh, dealing with the markets and stuff for better than four decades, and and you probably count those number of times on one hand. They don't come very often. Um, That's a good time for farmers. It's a time for them to take advantage. Uh, It's an opportunity to uh, uh, kind of work on their equity on their farm and stabilize things and get solid for the bad times that seem to always come in the next cycle. Yeah, some uh, tough decisions, but for many, good decisions uh, because you have good options. uh, But it's going to be interesting to see where they go on uh, some of those acres decisions. All right, Arlen, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. Good to visit again. Take care. Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for Stone X. All right, so it's state fair season, a lot of state fairs going on. It's... uh, farm show season as well several of them going on or coming up or have already taken place we not just a few days ago of course had a report uh, from uh, farm fest in minnesota well and we're getting ready for farm progress show here in a couple weeks in uh, illinois but going on right now in mitchell south dakota is dakota fest and our own jessica benson is there we'll check in with her next see uh what the mood is there challenging year in the dakotas uh, weather-wise crop-wise for many we'll see if that's being reflected uh, in the showgoers this year we'll get her thoughts on that and more coming up next stay with us you're listening to aoa Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going? (laughs) Hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. 
I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. That's our goal at AOA. Each weekday, you get an hour of the latest takes from people who know agriculture, the policymakers, and the people who have the inside scoop on what's happening behind closed doors. People who have their finger on the pulse of Washington and agriculture around the world. AOA is your daily source for all the information you need to stay in the know. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Lance Zimmerman with Cattle Facts. There's good prices on the board right now for cattle producers if they're feeding corn. It could be a little bit of a tricky situation right now, but as you alluded to, there still is plenty of opportunity out there for profitability if you're smart about your marketing. The rule in cattle feeding, right, is usually buy your profitability. Uh, both on the corn and the cattle side. And the last 18, 12 to 18 months have been tough on, on a corn position for cattle feeders. Been great if you're the one grazing the corn, right? We're in a situation right now with corn basically sitting there in the, the lower end of the $5 range. For a lot of producers, that's probably an area some are taking some positions on, at least trying to establish a, a floor price, you know, making sure they at least have some corn secured right now. Um, and we'll see what happens as we near harvest time, see if we put in some harvest time lows. But hopefully 
The worst of the weather threats are behind us on the corn side. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, let's go to Mitchell, South Dakota, check in on Dakota Fest. Our Jessica Benson is there. Jessica, thanks for joining us. How's it going? It's going well, and it's quite an honor to be on the show today and have the tables turned a bit. You know, usually I'm back behind there pushing the buttons in front of the dials for your show, so it's, <laughs> it's nice to be on with you for once. Yeah, you're on the other side now, and uh, good to have you there at uh, at Dakota Fest. And uh, what was yesterday like, uh, the opening day? Well, yesterday it was hot and dusty to start off with, but I don't think it'd be a real farm show if it wasn't. And, you know, if I didn't leave the end of the day with a dirt mustache. But it was uh, pretty pretty busy, and, and, and this is my first time. So the folks that have been here in the past said traffic was a little light, but I think with everything that's gone on, that was maybe expected. But, yeah, it was busy, and it's, it's been great catching up with people in person. And uh, I think farmers and ranchers are just excited to have things return back to normal a bit. Of course, uh, so much focus in the Dakotas has been on uh, weather challenges this year. Uh, South Dakota has been kind of a mixed bag. Of what, are, what are you hearing and seeing there in that area of Mitchell, South Dakota? Absolutely. That's exactly what I've been hearing is it's been a mixed bag. You know, they, I'm in the North Dakotas where I'm at, it's, you know, severe drought. And down here, they did have some early rain, much more than we did, but they said same, same here. It kind of just stopped and now drought has set in. And, you know, everyone's kind of in that position where we just, we need some rain, you know, for crops and for livestock. Is weather the big topic of conversation? I would say that's the big topic, as well as, you know, cattle policies. Uh, there's that tension between the packers and the feeders, and, you know, people want to get fair prices. And just yesterday, my coworker, Jesse Allen, had um, mediated a, a discussion about how we can fix that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a heated conversation, and there's a lot of emotion involved in it. And that's, you know, this is our livelihood, so it's completely understandable. But it's really tough to for these different associations to come to a mutual understanding and um, really settle on some sort of path they can follow. Is there was there a consensus among the producers that are there, or were uh, opinions mixed as well on what to do with cattle markets? You know, the opinions were mixed as well, and I don't, I don't think that they settled on a grid correction. Um, but you know, again, it's it's the discussions they they need to be, we need to have them certainly. But again, it's they they're not finding common ground, unfortunately. And um, 
I think it was the Cattlemen's Association and a representative from RCAF and um, another association representative. And, yep, again, it's, it's just very hard for them to find an agreement. And, um, you know, hopefully we can. And, and, really, we're at the mercy of the Packers right now anyway with their limited capacity. And, uh, you know, I've talked to experts like economist Arlen, Arlen Suderman, and he's mentioned, you know, until we can get that Packer capacity back up to par, it's, it's really tough, and everyone's kind of got their hands tied. And, of course, that takes time to get that uh, increased capacity. So usually day two of a show's a uh, bigger attendance. Is that what they're expecting today? Yeah, hopefully. You know, everyone kind of got their feet wet yesterday, and everyone settled in and kind of knows where everything is. So, yeah, that's to be expected. And, um, you know, it's closer to the – well, we're in the middle of the week, and so maybe people get a little extra time off. What's on the agenda yet? Obviously, you have the exhibitors there. Uh, any more sessions, informational sessions as well? I know they early in the morning they start out with uh, livestock um, demo or demos with new equipment, and um, yeah, we'll do that. And then today we're going to go around and talk to a lot of the exhibitors and um, just get updates from them and you know from their areas and what farmers' concerns are and definitely on the equipment side and, and we'll just you know get some updates on new equipment new technology there's lots of new things happening but you know again it goes all back to uh materials getting those getting materials that people need it's a real challenge with the last year and a half and covid setting everything back so trucking and you know materials it's just really hard to come by so a lot of folks I actually i talked to uh livestock equipment manufacturer and they said they're not even selling anything right now because they are so far behind yeah we hear a lot of that these supply chain issues are are widespread almost everybody's dealing with them absolutely and you know this this brings me off on another a little side note there were some south africans here yesterday at the farm show and they're obviously here on the h2a farm program and, you know, we hear a lot about the side of uh, farmers and how, how much benefit they receive from having programs like this that help to make up for that labor shortage. And on the other side of things, these workers that come to the U.S. for that opportunity, it means so much to them because it, it helps guarantee that not only themselves a better future, but a better future for their families as well. And that's just kind of a side that we don't seem really to touch on much. So just wanted to say that. These farm workers that come over on those visas, it, it really means a lot to them, and they're extremely grateful and appreciative. And it's, I think us as Americans need to remember that, too, especially with everything that's going on right now. Well, the ag labor issue is a, a, a key one. And, yeah, interesting to hear from uh, the other side, those that are coming to find work here on our farms uh, across the country. All right, uh, so big day again today uh, and then uh, again tomorrow, right? Yes, a big day today, a big full day. We kind of got our kinks worked out. I think yesterday our tent actually lost power altogether, so that made for an exciting morning. And you know as much as I do, when a technology goes out and you're working in media, it's about, it's going to give you a heart attack almost. I'm going to die young, and I think I got a few gray hairs. But they got that sorted out, and yeah, we'll just... We'll get after it another day, updating the markets and running around talking to producers, and yeah, it'll be a fun day. 
live broadcast from out at a farm show. Those remotes are always uh, fun and interesting. You'll learn a lot there, uh, Jessica. So thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Jessica Benson with the American Ag Network reporting from Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota. Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.